So as Mark said, my name is Timothy. I'm married to the amazing Carrie. Yes, Carrie um, yes. That's right. Yes, Bless Carrie. Bless, yes. Carrie. You can see what, how today is going to be, all right? There's just a spirit of fun and joyfulness here today. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, we actually celebrate our 14th wedding, 13th. We're going to free. We've been working on 13. We start our 14th. I was right on that. So, yes. Thank you to uh, the elders for giving me this privilege. I did text Marco earlier in the week just to see if he had any messages for us, and he just said that they spent a lot of time this week with Crystal and Travis at the Learning Center, and God is moving mightily on the island. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, Carrie's got a packing party after church where we're packing boxes where this church has invested time, resources to help um, fill the needs of over 150 children on the island of Roatan. So it's a wonderful time that they've gotten away to be able to rest and recuperate and just come back refreshed. One thing that I did discover in all of this is Marco's got a, another skill set that he, that he has discovered while he was over there. So, so yes, Marco has been whispering to dolphins. This is him training. What you, what you can't see is there's myriads of people around watching his performance. It's a whole mermaid outfit, all of that kind of stuff. But yes, they've been... Having a wonderful, wonderful time while they've been there. Yeah, you can leave that up or take it down. However distracting you want to be, you can keep it going. And I'm sure I'll get, I'll get taken out for that at some point. So yes, like Mark said, I've got different things on the stage that we're going to look at and do. Don't let those things distract you from what's going on. All right, I'm going to be ministering on our identity is in Christ. Um, I have prepped. I've even recorded myself and dissected t- the transcription of what I said, I am a little nervous because I know certain things we're going to look at will be slightly stepping on people's toes, which is why I wore my cowboy boots today. <laughs> so if you do feel it, I apologize. No, I'm not out to intentionally do anything uh, to get at anybody, but I do feel that on God's heart, this is a line in the sand moment for some of us. I think some of the things we're going to look at are going to challenge who we believe we are, the actions that we do, why do we do it, and truly and honestly who we really actually are. So that's what we're in for today. Let me pray, and then we will start. Lord, thank you again for such a wonderful privilege of being able to minister your word today, Lord. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, well, you are here, but that you would just open all of our hearts, our minds, the right words would be spoken, people would receive what they need to receive, we would have fun and come away challenged and changed in this time, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So the first statement I wanted to make is that we have all been lied to, right? We've all been lied to physically from other people and also spiritually. We have all been lied to. And the next thing I wanted to say is that we are not the sum of all of our failings. That's not who you are, right? There may be certain things and areas or, or struggles that we may all be facing individually. You may be addicted to certain things. You may feel like, quite frankly, you're a loser or you're worthless or you're nameless or faceless or whatever it might be. And those things might be some of your own doing. It might be other people who have done it to you. You might be seeking counsel for it. You might be on medication for it. And none of that is necessarily wrong, but it's not who you are. And I want that stated now as we walk into what we walk into today. So like I said, we're doing identity in Jesus. I was reading a scripture, which we'll get to shortly, and it just stood out to me and hit me really hard a couple weeks ago. And I uh, texted Mark and I said, hey, I think this is what I got to preach on. 
which when you ever get an opportunity to preach, you realize in that moment you will therefore be challenged until the day you deliver your message on the exact subject in which you decide to preach on. So it's like, I'm going to do this, Marco, send. Oh, I'm worthless. Oh, this is never going to work out. How am I going to do this? What am I doing? I re-looked at the same scripture and I was like, this doesn't say that anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing. So in the last couple of weeks, I've been wrestling with who I am and what I, why am I here, what am I doing. You know, I run a business, you lose clients, you gain clients, you start rating who you are based on all these external things, but that's not who we are. That is not truly who we are. I think in this world, in this day, and in this age, understanding who we are in Christ is extremely important, especially with the ability now to identify with what or whoever we want to, regardless of whether that's biblical or not. I also really do believe that this is a foundational message. In other words, if we get this wrong, our understanding of who Christ is, who we are in him, all the work that he's done, the building will go skew. But just like a house, it's not one that you sort out once and then you just keep building. We have to continually come back to revisiting it, to making sure that we are lining up with what scripture says, that if there's cracks in the foundation, we're addressing those issues, and that is what we're going to address today. So we're going to go to my second favorite book of the Bible, which is 2 Timothy. Um, no, I'm kidding. I mean, it is a good book of the Bible. And 1 Timothy is my first favorite. That's right. Well done. This is the uh, scripture that I was reading. I'm going to re actually read it to you, and I'll, I'll show you the two verses that really stood out to me, that hit me hard, um, and then we'll go from there. Just a quick reminder that Paul is in a Roman prison at this time. He is writing to encourage Timothy. In this time. So Timothy was almost considered Paul's son. Um, and Timothy is obviously seeing the way Paul's being treated, seeing what Paul's gone through, realizing that Paul has stood up for this gospel and this is the outcome. And he's feeling just a little bit anxious or nervous, possibly. And Paul is writing this to encourage him to keep going. So 2 Timothy 1, verse 5 says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This is key verse number one. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And then Paul just goes through and tells us what that testimony is. And then in verse 12, it says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. It was those two verses, verses 7 and 12, that when I read it, I was just doing my reading, specifically verse 12, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. That just hit me and I go, oh my goodness, is that true for me? Am I forming my, my life and my identity around in Terrible hardships have happened to me, be able to still stand and go, none of these things is who I am. The knowledge will still motivate me to go forward. And I was extremely. And I've been working on it. I'm a work in progress. Paul was not ashamed. Convinced of who he believed in. Can we say that about who we are? So now we're going to jump all the way back to the very, very, literally, the very, very beginning. We're going to go back to Genesis 2, and we're going to start looking at some of these 
we begin to form an identity that, not, that is not centered on Jesus. So in Genesis 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, sh- you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you will surely die. So it's extremely clear what to do, what not to do. Have you ever asked yourself, why did God give them a choice to begin with? Right? You can't have free will unless you have a choice. Or else you're actually in a prison because there is only one way. So you have to have free will to make a choice. So it's been clearly laid out. Hey, you can do all these different things. This is the one thing you cannot do. No matter how you want to look at it, you cannot eat from that tree. End of that subject. If you have children, we all understand what that means. You cannot eat from this chocolate cake, which means... They eat from that chocolate cake, which we'll see is exactly what happens. So Genesis 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruits of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat from the tree. That is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall we touch it lest we die. So clearly, Adam got the message from God. Adam told Eve the message, and Eve got the message. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. And then in verse 6 it says, So when the woman acted. So we all know that Eve ended up acting out and actually eating the fruit, right? So how is this possible? How did this happen? Like, what went wrong? Like, Eve, you knew you weren't supposed to eat it. But you still ate it, right? Well, obviously, like we just said, we all had a free will choice. And Eve, even at that stage, is still human, like every single one of us. Right? She had a choice to make. Satan came, and he twisted the truth that was already being said, and he tempted Eve into it. Five things of what happened. So in this section of Scripture, the first thing that we see is Satan came, and he planted doubt. Doubt was planted. God's word was twisted. Think of this in line with your identity of who God has told you you are, of, hey, Christ lives in me. I'm a son and a daughter of the king. Satan comes in and whispers, oh, hey, you know what? No, you're, you're a loser. Or, hey, yeah, you have to take this medication. Therefore, that's what you are. So that's the first thing that happens. Second, we begin to believe the lie, just like Lee, uh, Lee. Eve began to believe the lie. She fell for it. We fall for it. We begin to go, oh, okay, well, if that's what I am, I guess if this is what what I'm doing, then I guess this is who I am, right? And we just begin to accept that lie. Then the next thing that happens is we begin to act out. So she took the fruit. So we begin to give ourselves license to do the exact thing that we are not meant to be, right? Four, we realize what we're doing is wrong. We have the Spirit of God living inside of us, and it's wrestling with us, and all of a sudden we go, oh, Hey, that's not what I'm supposed to do. Satan's right there condemning us. He's the one that gave us the idea to do it. We've done it, and he's the first person to condemn us and saying, you're such a loser. What did you do? Why'd you do it? And then the fifth thing, we hide ourselves from the presence of God. Genesis 3.8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So guilt, shame, and fear come in. What's very interesting is if you stay in that place, this is a never-ending repeated cycle. 
Because then you begin to doubt who you are, you begin to believe in the lie, you begin to act out, you begin to wrestle with the fact that you know what the truth is, and then you feel guilt, shame, and you repeat. There's a very similarly the same kind of steps as there's five or six steps uh, of addiction, and these are almost identically to what those are. And so it has to be broken, or we will continue to repeat the cycle. The same with our identity. We will continue to repeat the cycle of not believing who we are meant to be in God. So I'm going to take a moment. There's different items I'm going to put on. You will laugh because some of them might be a little funny. All right? I will keep them on while I continue to preach. Um, and I'm just asking that you allow God to just speak to you in these things. I, I prayed and the God gave me these images of things to put on or use or do in this preach for specific areas that he wants to highlight in our lives where some of us, all of us might be struggling in some of these areas. All right? But what we must begin, we need to begin to believe that our actions do not form our identity. It needs to be the other way around. It needs to be the other. So the world will look at us and go, hey, you're continually doing this, therefore that is what you are. Even as saved, right? We need to realize that because of who we are and where we've been, and I'm going to get to that, and who lives in us now, our actions do not have to continue to repeat. The world needs to see Jesus lived out. None of us are perfect. We will only be perfect when we get to heaven. But the world needs to see Jesus lived out, not this continual cycle of brokenness. All righty, so let's, let's do this. All right, so we got a white shirt. I was much smaller when I put this on. I'm not going to button it. Please just don't make fun of me because of that. So this white shirt are our religious beliefs, right? The works that we try to do to get to Christ or to become more holy are the things we are saying, hey, I'm the worship leader. That's who I am at this church. That's what this symbolizes, our religious identity. <laughs> Thick sweatshirt. Some of us have truly in the past have been hurt, we've been abused, or terrible situations have, have, have happened to us, and that is wrong and that is terrible, but that is not who you are. Generally what happens in that pain is we begin to put on armor and put up walls. And we generally want to try and keep people out. We might even become slightly hostile in that. That's what this body armor symbolizes. because I made it larger. <laughs> right? So this, this helps us keep people at bay. I don't want to let people in. I don't want people to see my pain or how I was treated. So I'm just going to put walls up. I was very good and have to work very hard not at being good at this. I was very good at becoming a stone tower, putting my emotions away just because of a past pain and hurt. I'm just carrying on with life and that came crashing down on me one day. In this day, in this age, the scarf represents the ability to choose <laughs> who we want to identify as, right? Because we have that ability nowadays to choose, hey, I want to be this, or I want to associate with this, or I want to do this. This represents that. <clears throat> Chains of addiction. Wow. I don't 
think I need to say any more about that. Not necessarily drugs, but some of us take medication or on medicine for legitimate things, right? That's not who you are. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop taking them. That's not at all what I'm addressing here. What I'm saying is, is we put ourselves, I have ADD, so I put myself in a box and go, well, I'm always going to forget things. I'm always going to be this. I'm always going to be that because of this. Or I'm always going to have to be depressed because that's what I have or whatever that might be. We got money. Oh, I got my kids' money. It's fake, by the way. It's fake. Let's just clarify that. It's not real. This, uh, so we know that God does bless us to be successful. But success, when unchecked in who God is, will eventually lead to pride. Get all this in here. Alrighty, we got a backpack here. This represents all the baggage that we carry. Past relationships, maybe, oh, I've got generational curses or things like that that we may carry with us thinking that this is who we now are. My goodness, it's hot already. (laughs) (laughs) That's the chains. And then last but not least, we we're also really good at putting on masks, right? So we can keep the world at bay. I'm not going to preach with that on because you will never see me and I won't be able to see anything. But all of a sudden we walk around and we are broken people in need of a savior. We are in the process of being restored. We are in the process of being redeemed and, and God washing us and pointing out these things. And we walk with friends and we go see counsel and we do all the different things that we need to do. But what I'm here to address is that this is not who you are. Right? That is what we're looking at. This is not who you are. It's a heavy burden some of us carry. This is weighty. These chains are not as bad as they are. But listening to Stephen's advice, I was going to put a couple more on. But this is only two. And already I'm like, oh my goodness, this is heavy. But this is, this is the burden. This is the pain. It's inconveniencing. And it's limiting. And that's key. The only way that all of this gets changed is through the blood of Jesus. And nothing gets through the blood of Jesus. Let me explain. So, and I'll get into this in a bit more detail. When I say nothing gets through the blood of Jesus, it was the complete work once and for all. Right? It's done. We've been washed in it. So then I ask the question, why do we still carry all this with us? Right? Because, unfortunately for some of us, I know for Mark this is going to be a big shock, but we're not perfect. Not yet. You're close. You're cl- sorry, you're close. Despite what your wife may tell you, you're, you're not perfect yet. None of us are. We're still human. We still have faults. We still have issues that we're carrying from our past or stuff that has happened to us since we've been saved that we need to deal with and we need to walk through, but it's not who you are. So where does the issue arise in our lives? I think the final battleground is in our mind. I think that's one of the last places. That's how everything hits us. That's how we process what's going on. This tells us, oh, I'm going to act in this way, and then that's how we carry on. The devil does not have authority in our life unless we give him authority. I'm talking about a saved person. 
I was thinking about this. A safe person is very much like an Apple MacBook, other than the MacBook is the Lord's computer. Other than that reason, <laughs> the MacBook will not install any software or allow any authority or anything to happen on it unless the user gives you authority at every single level, right? It's the same with our lives. The devil has no authority in your life unless you give it to him. And that's where the whole thing with Genesis comes in. We hear the lie, the devil still doesn't have authority. We begin to believe the lie, we allow him in, and the cycle continues and repeats. So we need to, with everything that we have, focus on renewing our mind. In Romans 12, we know it says, I appeal you to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In uh, Philippians, Paul writes, you know, Paul had all these different things. He was, I mean, according to Paul's own account of himself, he said he was a perfect Jew. He was zealous in everything he did. He even persecuted the church. But in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything at a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. In Colossians 1, he talks again about that we may be filled with the knowledge so that we can walk in a manner worthy of him. So this battleground of our mind is a terrible, terrible place. This is where it all happens. And this is where we need to take our stand and go, hey, you know what, I'm not going to believe these lies anymore. Ones that either the devil are telling me, friends are telling me, family members are telling me, this is not going to happen anymore. So where do we start in this renewing our mind process? We need to realize whose kingdom we're in, right? So it's very easy. Oh my goodness, this is heavy. Um, we have the kingdom of darkness <laughs> and of light, right? Does somebody go all over there? <laughs> so there's two kingdoms. Just like they're saved or unsaved, there is no third kingdom. There is no secret past in Mario Kart that takes you to the end without anybody knowing. This doesn't exist. There's either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light. That's it. And remember, I'm talking to saved people. Colossians 1 says, He has delivered us from darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of light. So we are not here, regardless of how you may feel. We're here, regardless of how you may feel. In Romans 6, I've, I put a, I've, I'm not going to read it, I just wrote it up there. It talks about how we once were slaves to sin, and now we're slaves to righteousness. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free. And then in verse 23, it says, For the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we are. Colossians 3 says, We have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Let me say this. Mark did this in our prayer meeting. All the different letters that Paul writes to the different churches, he includes the word saints. You notice he never says sinners. Right? So if you believe in Jesus, you're a saint, you're a believer. It does not mean that you will not sin. You will still sin because you're human. But think about this. 
If you live your whole life saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, then sinning is what you do, and then you'll just excuse it, and then we keep on sinning. But if we say, hey, I'm a believer, I do not have to do that anymore. I do not live in this kingdom. I live in this kingdom. I therefore have the option to say no. This is the second point. We need to put away the old man. This is not Charlie. This is physically, (laughs) spiritually, the old man. When we were in the kingdom of darkness, we were considered the old man, right? We do not have that man anymore. However, and I, I, I love this, when you read the different places old man or put away is, uh, in this regard as reference, and we'll look at some of them, it is a conscious effort we have to make because he still tries to live here. Even though we don't live here and we're here now, we still, oh, I thought I was hit that stand, we still have to make an effort to put that away. Romans 6 talks about, um, Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. And then in verse 7, in these you once walked while you were living in them, but now you must put them away, anger, malice, um, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Effort is required, right? We come to Jesus, he washes us in his blood, but we now have action to take. We aren't living there, we're living here, but our mind has practices and beliefs and thoughts that are still here. We need to make those go away, and we're going to get there next, and we need to put on a different version of ourself, right? This is where, you know, a lot of people, seriously, this is actually much heavier than it looks and much hotter than it looks, my goodness. Um, this is where when we tell people, hey, we need to put stuff off, you know, people will shout at churches, you're making rules and laws, why do I have to spend time in the Word, why should I be having a quiet time, why should I be, why should I be, I shouldn't watch this, I should watch this. This is that reason. Action is required. I'm not necessarily going to say you are what you eat, but there is that point of where if we're consistently living in this side of the world, even though we're not actually there, but that's what we're doing, well, we're going to start exhibiting and believing those same way. Right? Third point, we need to put on the new man. It's simple, I know. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self, and this is key, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Romans 6.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and to listen, compassion, hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. Verse 14, and above all, put on love. So like I was just saying, this is another action that is required, and this is where that tension falls. We all live that life where we'll have a thought to go one way, we'll have a thought to go another way, and we will have a choice to make, just like Eve, which Man, am I going to gratify? Which nature am I going to do? 
the more, whichever, I guess this is a good example, whichever one you feed is the one that will continue to grow. The more you continue to live in this side, the harder you will find it to leave it and live in this side. Right? And so we want to be living in this side. And that's why I said what I said is that spending time in the Word, fellowshipping with one another, being selective about what you watch. Now remember, I'm not telling you what you can watch. My conviction isn't your conviction. You need to work out that. What's permissible for you might not be for me, and vice versa. But if our eyes are the window to our soul, there's that saying that says that, I would highly recommend we guard what we're letting our eyes see. My, I, have a, I have an ability to listen to music and not really hear anything. Uh, that sounds ridiculous. Then why would you listen to music? That's not what I meant. <laughs> what I meant was I have the ability to listen to music and it doesn't bother me, right? I'm not listening to extremely um, obscene things or anything like that. I work with music playing all the time, specifically more instrumental, tribal, techno, drumming music. And it doesn't faze me. I think nothing of it. But it's very interesting. Carrie is far more sensitive when it comes to music than I am. And Carrie can walk in the room and say, I don't think that's the right song you should be listening to. I then look up that person and they're, you know, involved in the occult. Now, it doesn't bother me, right? But now that I know the truth, I don't listen to that person anymore. Even if there's no words being said, it's just not good for the soul. So we've looked at this thing of identity. We begin to realize that this side of us needs to die. Effort is required. And effort is required. And the reason I say all of this is we all have a destiny in God. We all have a calling. We all have giants to take. We all have the promised lands to take. And I can tell you now, wrapped up like this, it's much harder to do that. You're wasting energy and time spinning around or, interestingly, walking around a mountain for 40 years when you could take 11 days. There's a story... In 1 Samuel, well, 1 Samuel 15, God moves past Saul. And he goes, tells Samuel, hey, go anoint David as king. So Samuel goes. He gets there. There's all these brothers. And he's like, man, I'm going to sell these guys. Look at how good they look. Copy, paste, copy, paste. They were all amazingly good-looking men, right? So, okay, one looked like Trey. And, and just these outstandingly wonderfully-looking men, right? And God challenges Samuel, and he says, hey, you're looking on the outside, I look on the inside, right? And so, oh, there's one more, call him, and David's out. That's who he's supposed to anoint. What I love about the next chapter is David going to fight Goliath. So he goes and checks on his brothers. He sees this abomination defiling Israel. All these men in Israel... We're told by the same God to go destroy the same people. They all knew what they were doing, but this giant scared them. I would like to say because they were unsure of who they were or they were unsure of the power or the God that lived within them. And David gets there. He talks to him. He gets shouted at by one of his brothers. And then Saul overhears him saying, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. And Saul said to David, go, may the Lord be with you. That's verse 37. It's very interesting. Verse 38, Saul closed David in his armor. Interesting. So Saul puts on to something on David that is not who David is. And David actually ends up throwing it off, picking up his staff and his sling and going and taking and slaying Goliath in the way God has called him to do because he was sure of who he was. 
He did not need all of that other stuff to defend what God had called him to do. And that's the point. We all have a calling in God that has to be formed off of the foundation of whose we are. And we are all sons and daughter of God. Regardless of how we feel, the situations we're going through, the issues we might be facing, he is the first and foremost to know Christ. And then we're making who we know known. Stephen, you want to put up that last picture? So it's not about the cross. Hear me. Jesus was already crucified and has died and raised from the dead. What's important is about the man who hung on the cross. Right? And so my challenge, and worship guys, you can begin to come up. My challenge is drop all of this stuff off now. What are you carrying that you no longer need to carry? Throw all of that off. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavenly laden, and I will give you rest. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy, his burden is light. The life that we live, each and every one of us, like I said, has challenges that we're going through, and I'm not downplaying any challenge or situation any single one of us finds yourself in, whether that's family, friends, personal, somebody else, whatever it might be. But it's not who you are. Christ is who you are. He is your identity. He is who is in you. You are his. Can we just bow our heads? I'm gonna, I want to pray this over us, and then we're going to go into this, this song, and if there might be some time of ministry after that. So Paul actually writes this in Ephesians. It says, God, our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what it is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant us to be strengthened and powered through the Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. You are not the sum of all your failings. You are a son or a daughter of Christ.